The following program is a first-person narrative using author's license to tell stories drawn from the Bible and the books of Ellen White. Welcome to Family Storytime with Carly Fraser. Join us as we step back in time to hear about Pilate's wife. Hi, I'm Pontius Pilate's wife, and I'd like to invite you on a journey with me back to the Passover weekend to maybe share a bit of a different perspective with you. Come join me. Take it straight to him. It's critical. We must have nothing to do with this man. Have you ever had a dream about someone and as a result felt a certain way towards them when you woke up? It didn't matter that your emotions were completely irrational, that you only felt that way because of your dream. Sometimes you may not even remember what happened. You just know that for some reason you really don't like them at that point in time. Or maybe you really do. I guess it depends on your dream. Either way, you feel super awkward when you see them, hey? No? (laughs) Okay, maybe it's just me. I've always found dreams fascinating. The way the brain seems to throw random fragments of life together in a strange kaleidoscope of events and people. I guess I also like dreams because it means I'm not lying awake listening to my thoughts. Days are fine. I keep busy and there's always lots going on around here. It's when the sun sets that I struggle. See, it's then that my insecurities wake up and revive the loneliness and anxiety that has plagued me since my childhood. It's only under the silence of the stars that I allow myself to think about the past and wonder what tomorrow holds. The gods of my childhood, Mars and Venus, shine bright against the black velvet sky. But their light does nothing to illuminate my future. I've never had much control over my life. My destiny has always been decided by others. And I often dream of what it might be like to have a second chance. The Jews say that one day their God will send a messiah He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Imagine worshipping a God who sends someone like that. So different to Mars, our God of war, and Venus, our Goddess of love. There's another type of dream, one that you do remember, distinctly remember. And it's one that doesn't leave you alone, as it's stuck on repeat in your mind, long after you've risen. Last night, I had one of those dreams. I saw him in it. I even spoke with him. The man everyone is talking about. The man whose simple existence appears to have fanned the smouldering coals of Jewish fanaticism into full flame. And from the rage I can hear being expressed outside, 
I fear Jerusalem itself may be set to burn. His name is Jesus. He appeared on the political scene here in Judea about three years ago and has been causing division everywhere he goes. Twelve men travel with him. I believe they're called his disciples, although I doubt they're anywhere to be seen now, and I don't blame them. One can easily understand why they would be inclined to distance themselves at the moment. But this dream, it was different. It almost felt real, alive. It has imprinted itself indelibly on my mind. As I talked with this Jesus, there became no doubt that he is indeed the Prince of God, sent to this earth to save humanity. I saw him standing on trial in the judgment hall, with his hands bound behind him like a criminal. I saw him amidst Herod and his henchmen, being beaten and mocked. I can still hear the echo of accusations by the priests and Jewish leaders. We have a law, and by our law, he ought to die. I saw my husband, after declaring he found no fault in Jesus, order him to be flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Jesus stood there, back covered in lacerations, and face shining with an incomprehensible peace. And Pilate sat there, in the judgment seat, and sentenced an innocent man to death. To be handed over to the rabid mob and crucified. My dream then shifted to Calvary, where Jesus was lifted high on a cross. The earth went dark, as though the sun itself could no longer bear to survey such a scene. Out of the anguish, I heard him cry, It is finished. But it didn't stop there. In an instant, everything disappeared, to be replaced with billowing white clouds. And there, seated high above the earth, was Jesus Christ in full heavenly splendor, while his murderers fled in terror. Then I woke with a cry that brought my servant running from next door. The sun had not yet shown its face when the mob called Pilate from bed this morning. I can hear them now, outside the judgment hall, demanding what they call justice. Needless to say, I haven't been able to sleep since the dream. Every time I close my eyes, the scenes march across my mind. What am, what am I supposed to do? It felt like a message. And not just any message. This one has latched onto my heart and refused to let go. Why me? This man is the son of God. Why would God speak to me in a dream? Why would he speak to me at all? I'm a woman, wife of a Roman governor. Jewish women can't even testify as witnesses in a court case. As if anyone would credit what this Roman woman had to say. Besides, I doubt they'd even listen. 
I've seen what power does to a person. How it guarantees any trace of moral character is trampled out in the pursuit of position. Tiberius Caesar is already suspicious of Pilate. So one wrong move here, and it will be the last move he makes. Pilate has never been known for his strong, decisive leadership, which is why I sent the message just now, warning him to have nothing to do with this innocent man. I don't know that it will do much good, but I had to try. There's something incredibly unique about this Jesus. Even the way he treats women is different. I remember the day well, like it was just yesterday. It was a hot, dusty day, and tempers were rising in the palace. So I decided the only viable solution was to escape to the shops. We hadn't even made it to the market when we came across a crowd outside the temple. The curtains of my sedan chair had been pulled back to create airflow, and through the gap in the fabric I I caught a glimpse of Jesus for the first time. I remember being struck by the complete calmness he exuded. He was surrounded by scribes and Pharisees who appeared to have dragged a woman before him. She was cowering in the dust at Jesus' feet while they explained in loud, defiant tones that she had been caught in the act of adultery and as such should be stoned according to the law of Moses. It was like a chariot crash. I didn't want to look, but couldn't seem to turn away. I was torn between wanting to leave the horrific scene and the desire to stay and see Jesus' response. She was clearly guilty, but if Jesus declared her death sentence, he would be assuming power he did not legally possess, thereby placing himself in opposition to the might of Rome. He did the strangest thing. He ignored them. Instead of responding, he knelt down and began writing in the dust. From where I was sitting, I couldn't read what he wrote, but the Pharisees certainly could. Rising, Jesus said, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. Slowly, one by one, I could hear stones thud to the ground as the scribes and Pharisees turned and walked away. Frozen, I sat there watching, waiting for his condemnation to fall on the woman. The crowd did too, as they remained completely silent. Looking at her, Jesus gently asked, Where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? I barely heard her whispered reply, No one, Lord. And I'll never forget his response. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This, this will sound weird, I know, but suddenly I felt as though I had been asleep and was finally beginning to wake up. It was almost like he wasn't just speaking to the woman, but to the rest of us as well. See, true friendship is a foreign concept for me. My whole life, I've been searching for someone to look at me with the same love and compassion that Jesus demonstrated to that woman. Growing up in Rome, I was used to people using and abusing power 
wielding it like a weapon to destroy their enemies. You never knew who to trust, because people would say anything as a means to an end. But this man, Jesus, he holds more power than I've ever seen. He has fed thousands from a few loaves and fish. He has healed people with paralysis, leprosy, and conditions that no one else could or would deal with. Just the other week, I heard he raised a man from the dead. He is the son of God with heavenly legions at his command, and yet he holds his power loosely in his hand, giving instead of taking, blessing instead of cursing. And right now he stands out there in the judgment hall, ready to sacrifice his life for the very people calling for his death. I can hear Pilate asking which prisoner to release for Passover. The crowd is roaring like demons and calling for Barabbas' freedom. Barabbas? That murderer? He has been inciting the zealots and claiming he's the Messiah. What in the world is Pilate supposed to do now? Some people thrive off the unknown. I don't. I'm a big fan of the known. I think knowing what will happen next is a wonderful thing. Well, most of the time. (laughs) Knowing about my marriage to Pilate was not a wonderful thing. It was an arranged marriage for political advantage. Pilots, not mine, just saying. <laughs> this, this whole week has made my stomach churn. It started when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. There was a crowd then too, probably even made up of the same people as this angry mob. Except back then, instead of crucify him, they called out, Hosanna to the son of David. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The whole city was talking about Jesus and asking who he was. That's the real question, isn't it? That's what the past three years have been about. And it's what this whole weekend comes down to. Who is this man, Jesus Christ? I've been thinking, and as far as I can tell, there are really only three options. Either he's a lunatic, a liar, or our Lord. It's the question Pilate is answering for himself right now. Although I fear even if he acknowledges in his heart that Jesus is God, it may not change his response. Pilate values his position and power way too much to allow anything to jeopardise it. Even if his eternal destiny is at stake. So that's it. It's done. My husband just washed his hands and sold his soul with the words, I am innocent of the blood of this man. The responsibility is yours. Take him and crucify him. As as if that can clear his guilt. How can a governor wash his hands of murder when he's the one who sentenced the man? Lunatic. Liar. Lord. Lord.
It's not a question we can ignore. It's actually the only question that will be answered by all. Who do you say he is? Pilate made his decision. And this is one decision I get to make for myself. I need to make for myself. He can't be a lunatic. His actions are strange, that's for sure, but not crazy. He heals, delivers people from demons, and provides the freedom to live a new life through forgiveness. He's not a liar. Everything he has said is true and apparently backed up by Jewish scripture. Plus, why would anyone allow themselves to be sentenced to death by crucifixion over lies? That only leaves Lord. To call Jesus Lord would mean acknowledging his authority over my life. It will involve surrendering every day and decision to him accepting in the process that I have made mistakes and will continue to make more, but somehow God offers me forgiveness. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I have seen Tiberius Caesar. I've witnessed generals leading triumphs through the streets of Rome with the corona triumphalis, the crown of triumph on their heads. Yet none of them ever demonstrated the sheer strength, wisdom, kindness, and selfless love that I have observed in the man currently wearing a crown of thorns. Jesus said his purpose is to give life in all its fullness. And that's what I want, life in all its fullness. A life that looks beyond just me and my needs to those around me. There doesn't appear to be a halfway option. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or not. I can't salute him as Lord and march on by, continuing down my own path as if it was just an event that happened and is now in the past. He is a complete direction changer. Either I allow Jesus access and lordship in every aspect of my life, or not at all. Imagine switching masters from the vacillating man on the stage outside to the criminal in the crown. To have Jesus guiding your decisions, to know that he will follow through on every promise he made to you, to trust him to provide in every circumstance, to understand what true love and friendship is like. What would it be like to be led by the same God who has been with Jesus? Jesus said, if we have seen him, then we have seen the Father. It seems every interaction with Jesus is life-changing. Consider the fisherman Peter, the woman outside the temple, the man raised from the dead. What would it look like if he confronted me? And yet, I've always yearned for a master who was merciful. I have no idea what the future will hold for Pilate or myself. 
I don't know how to find Jesus' disciples. It's probably near impossible after this weekend. All I know is it's time for change. My whole life I've been surrounded by the pursuit of power and pleasure. I've seen it suck the joy out of people until they were empty shells of their former selves. Swept up in the same tide that caught them, I thought that's all there was to life. What about you? Have you ever been surrounded by a crowd and yet felt incredibly lonely? Can you imagine what it would be like for someone to know absolutely everything about you and still be willing to give their life for you? Have you ever dreamed about the possibility of a new beginning? Do you long for a deeper relationship with God? For a life where you can see Him working every single day? Maybe there is such a thing as a second chance. I refuse to let dreams dominate my days. I want to wake up, be fully alive. I only have one life and I want it to count for something, for someone. Jesus forgave the woman outside the temple and he can forgive me too. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he is in the process of sacrificing himself for me and for you. I don't know what will happen tomorrow or even the rest of today, but God does, and that is enough for me. It is his healing and grace my heart has always hungered for. And I'm entrusting my life to him. We all have one life, one decision. Please choose wisely because the implications are eternal. Who do you say he is? Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, Thank you so much for coming and for giving your life for us. Sometimes it's hard to understand what you did, but I just pray that you'll help us to understand that you did it for us, that you did it so that we can have that eternal relationship with you and that you love us so much and we are worth so much in your eyes. And Father, I thank you so much for sending Jesus and I just pray that as we live each day, that you will draw us into a deeper understanding of you and of your love for us. And I thank you so much for that. In your name, amen. That is such a powerful story. Thank you, Carly. Let's join Christopher and Jesse as they open the Bible to discuss today's story. Thank you, Carly, for that inspirational story about Pilate's wife. Now, let's delve into the Bible to learn more about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Hey Chris, when you imagine a king, what image do you first see in your mind? Well, I see a king sitting on a throne, wearing a royal crown. 
His shoulders are probably back, his chest is out, chin up, and he holds a royal scepter in his hand. Now with that scepter, he's probably controlling an enormous army riding into battle on a magnificent white horse. Well, that idea is very similar to how the Jews thought the Messiah would be. They thought he would be a king and ride into Jerusalem as a conqueror, saving them from the Romans and establishing a new kingdom that would last forever. Okay, that sounds really good, but who was this Messiah? Well, the first time we ever hear about the Messiah is way back in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit and sin has entered the world. Now, because humankind was unable to save themselves, God promised to send the Messiah to save them from sin and death by crushing the skull of Satan. But in the process, the Messiah's heel would be bruised. Then, as we continue to read through the Bible, we get to learn more about this Messiah character. We're told that he is a triumphant and a royal king who will set his people free and establish an everlasting kingdom on earth. But as we read other parts of the Bible, we don't always see this Messiah as a triumphant king or a mighty warrior. Sometimes he's described as a suffering servant. Isaiah 53 portrays the Messiah as being wounded and oppressed and bruised. Okay, so I'm not sure I get it. How is it possible for the Messiah to be both a triumphant king and a suffering servant then? Isn't it impossible for someone to be two different things at the same time? Well, it it can be a little difficult to understand. And even the Jews were a bit confused about who the Messiah really was. But things start to become a little clearer as we see Jesus Christ betray both qualities of the Messiah. Yeah, because Jesus isn't really the typical king you would normally imagine. He isn't born in a palace or in luxury and wealth. Instead, he's born into a poor family in a stable. Yeah, And Jesus' triumphant entry isn't on a magnificent horse. Instead, it's on a humble donkey. I mean, Jesus doesn't even have an enormous army of soldiers at his command. Instead, he's just got 12 disciples who are fishermen, tax collectors, and other rejects of society. And so, when Jesus is brought before Pilate, he's just as confused. He sees a humble, innocent man, not a conquering king. And so, he asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies in John chapter 18 and verse 36, saying, My kingdom is not of this world. You see, Jesus' kingdom is one where servants lead and the meek inherit the earth. Pilate still doesn't quite understand who the Messiah really is. Even after his wife told him to spare Jesus' life after seeing him in a dream, Pilate still agrees to crucify him. So really, when I look at the cross... I see Jesus exalted on his throne, wearing a crown of thorns. His arms are outstretched, his chest is collapsing, and head lowered in despair as his hands are pierced to a tree. His disciples are scattered, and the few watching are helpless to rescue their king. Do you remember the name of the place Jesus died? Yeah, it was on a hill named Golgotha, right? Doesn't that name mean the place of the skull? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was at that point that Satan's skull was crushed by the nail-pierced feet of Jesus. As Jesus gave up his last breath, death gave up its sting on humanity. I get it. So it's at the cross that we see both a triumphant king and a suffering servant. It's at the cross that we see 
the Messiah. Yeah, and so just like Pilate's wife, we too have a decision to make. We have to decide whether Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Will you accept Jesus as your Messiah and be a part of his kingdom? You have been listening to Family Storytime, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.